Hey everybody! Today, Rotto runs through the best games of 2023, preliminary edition. Hello everybody, or should I say Feliz Navidad, since uh, my wife Jen and I are still on the road down here in beautiful Baja, Mexico. I am in the garden right outside uh, the Mission de San Ignacio, a beautiful church uh, that people come from far and wide to see. Um, people don't come to the uh, garden though, but Jen wanted me to point out this bush right here. It is um, the dog poop bush, it says. Uh, its genus is uh, Ibanope. Ibanopsis confinus, folks. Uh, we don't have internet right here at the moment. We have no idea why it's called the dog, uh, the dog poop bush. But if you could let me know down in the comments, that'd be very appreciated. But we're not here to talk about um, bushes, uh, dog poopy or not. We are here to talk about games, 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 folks. And now every year I do this at the beginning uh, or the on Christmas Day, I put up my preliminary top ten list uh, because there's a bunch of games, of course, that I still haven't played. So. Come middle of 2024, I'm going to be doing a follow-up to this and seeing if my preliminary list changes at all. Because there are a bunch of games that I would very, very much like to try. Let me see if I can give you a better view of the uh, cathedral up there. Uh, it's not the cool view. Let's go on down uh, over here into the town square, and I'll try to give you a nice view. Uh, but anyway, along the way, I just wanted to mention... Um, Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, there are some games that are high on my must playlist. Where are they? I've got them right here on my wife's phone. Uh, so she has no phone. And I gotta be careful to cross the road and not get run over. Where is the list of must tries? Ah, oh, here we go. Um, I'm just gonna rapid fire through these really quick because I haven't tried them. Uh, some of them are on the channel, like Planta Nubo, the latest from Uwe Rosenberg, teaming up with some with the designers of was it? Um, uh, I can't think of the word now. Lagranja. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Daybreak, the latest co-op from... Oh, I'm forgetting all words. Um, this is my job. Uh, Matt Leacock, the pandemic designer. I would like to try that. Everybody's raving about Earthborn Rangers so much. I really have to give this a go. Mythwind, apparently it's just made it out to be considered a 2023 game, even though only a few people in Poland have it. So that's one I'll have to check out in the new year, see if it makes top of the list. Ancient Knowledge from Yellow Games. Man, I wish I'd grabbed that when I had the chance because uh, it looks really cool. I uh, you know, A lot of people are saying it's a phenomenal engine building card game. I passed on it, covering it because there were a bunch of nasty attack cards. But then the uh, developer said, yeah, you can take those out if you want. They don't, uh, it wouldn't hurt the game. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me? Anyway, it's getting an expansion next year. So I'll be trying to check it out as soon as possible. Oh, um, oh, the Guild Academies of Valeria. I'm always up for a new Valeria Kingdom game. Oh, by the way, folks, here is the beautiful, beautiful town square that we're in now. You might hear some traffic going by, but anyway, um, yeah. Guild Academies of Valeria. I'm always up for Valeria, especially when it's designed by Stan Kordoski. And his... Um, Oh, what was it? The, uh, the, the, where the, the monsters fight back. I forget which Valeria game it is, but it's the one where you control the monsters. It was phenomenal. That was Stan Kordonsky's design, wasn't it? I think it was. But anyway, anything from Stan Kordonsky. And then uh, Valeria on top of that? Yes, please. Oh, and then a few more. 
that I have actually played, but only in prototype form. So I can't in good conscience put them on the list until uh, I get uh, to play the full versions. Uh, Globetrotters, a very, very cool. A roll and write, unlike anything you've ever seen before, because you're drawing on globes instead of paper. Arborea uh, from Danny Garcia, one of the coolest new designers on the um, uh, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the industry, and you haven't heard the last of them in this list, Delta was such a very, very wonderful worker placement game. I really love the prototype of it. Definitely got to play the final to see if it, it should be on my top 10. And Darwin's Journey, uh, I liked it a lot when I covered it, but I've heard that it comes with an amazing expansion now that really elevates the game even higher. And it's making a lot of people's top 10 lists. Uh, I mean, heck, it actually showed up in the top 16 uh, games of the year that we did on the latest R&R and R show. Folks, after you're done with hearing me talk about 30, that's right, 30 games, I'm going to count out today. If you want to hear about more and some really, really cool ones, I'll follow the links down in the show notes or there'll be a playlist at the end uh, to go check out um, the R&R and R where we, uh, the entire channel, Shay, Kimberly, um, you know, Paulo, uh, Amy and Maggie, um, uh, Grant, and uh, of course all the R&R folks, uh, you know, Chris and Ray, who's now a regular on the show, Andrew and myself, all combining for the, the super friends, superpower combo best of the year. You won't want to miss that. I'm talking a few of the games that were in that are going to be talked about in this countdown, but a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So you don't want to miss that one. Anyway, folks, uh, what else am I going to say before I get counting down? Oh, one other thing I just do want to mention. There are a lot of really great 2.0s, re-imagining um, type things, and I generally leave those off the list. So like the, the Deluxe of Lagranha, the uh, special edition of Castles of Burgundy, the 20th anniversary of Almond Ray, um, the uh, Brussels 1983 Belle Epoque, Zanguo First Empire, Fuse Countdown, Shipyard Second Edition, Kuzco in Vienna, Ancient Terrible uh, Things Reawakened, and probably a few more. I just leave those off because uh, this is a list of no expansions and of all new games. Um, you know, a game came out seven years ago. Hey, it had a chance to make the top 10 seven years ago. I'm not going to give it another chance generally, unless the game radically changes. Oh, Great Western Trail, another one, the New Zealand. Uh, just wouldn't even consider those because those are really 2.0s. Okay, I think, folks, we're done with caveats, right? If so, let's get going um, with number 30 on the list from Uwe Rosenberg or Onionburger Canal. Wow. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think this might be um, you know, a top three best design from Uwe Rosenberg of all time, quite frankly. The core worker placement, but more importantly, um, tableau building, or not tableau building, city building, um, where you're focusing on routes and uh, instead of upgrading buildings like a lot of games do, you upgrade the roads in this game. And every time um, you surround a building with, um, you know, roads or canals or whatever, uh, they trigger and, oh man, this is such a brilliant game. Then why is it coming at number 30? Because honestly, this could be in my top 15, maybe in my top 10. One problem. The most inscrutable iconographic language I've ever seen. One of them. One of the worst. Right up there with uh, Tourne. And uh, both Jen and I found it to be way too off-putting. So, if there had been text on the cards, this would have been a top 10 contender of the year. But even still, uh, if you don't mind a little bit of hieroglyphic uh, transcription, uh, you will love, at least if you're anything like me, number 30 on the list, Arani Burger Canal. Number 29, The Rats of Wistar. Oh, this is another one that could have been a top 10 contender. Absolutely brilliant design worker placement game where um, you have two types of workers. Your main worker you send out to do things, but they are supplemented by 
by um, helpers. Uh, it's, it's a secret of NIMS style setting, so we are the rats of Wistar, uh, super intelligent rats trying to start a new life. And then we have helpers who are these cute little adorable mice. And um, the rats can only do so much without the help of the mice. But the rats, they get picked up and the mice get left behind on the worker placement spots. And you have to invest to move them from one spot to another. But because this the board has a spinning wheel on it, um, the uh, potential things that the little mice followers can do is changing all the time. And then it's got a lot of really wonderful thematic stuff. Really feels like Secret of Nim brought to life in Euroform, and it's great. So again, why does it come in solo? Well, there um, was just one thing I didn't like about it that really pulled it down. Uh, the a big part of the game is exploring the uh, the old house that we've uh, set up camp next to. And there's a lot of randomness in there. And I wish uh, they had done a little bit more to say, hey, you know what? How about when we enter a room, we flip all the tiles up so we don't have to spend resources and hope we get something we want as opposed to something that's not as useful to us as it could be. A couple little tweaks like that, and this would have been a top tenner. So you can tweak them yourself if you like. I certainly talked about it in my original run-through. Uh, by the way, folks, there's going to be links for Board Game Geek for every game down below in the show notes, and also uh, my original videos on the channel. So you can hear me talk about any of these. And of course, you can also skip around uh, because I put the timestamps in. Anyway, though, uh, that's why Rats of Wistar sadly comes in number 29. Still, great game. was totally a keeper. Number 28, Forest Shuffle. Now, I think this one's going to be making a lot of top 10s as well. And um, my only problem with it, to be honest, has nothing to do with the gameplay. The gameplay is great. It is a, uh, you know, it's one of those... Hey, spend some of my cards, discard some cards so I can play other cards. When I discard the cards, they go into a central queue. That means other players can grab them. We've seen this in a lot of games. It always works very well. Um, and it's all about building up forest biomes with lots of variety of animals, and, you know, flora and fauna. And it's really nicely done. Now, why is it coming so low? Uh, I seem to be the only person who's bothered by this, but each card is literally two cards. There's a top and a bottom or a left and a right. And I found once you've got, you know, eight or so cards in your hand, it becomes really, really cumbersome to play this game. I've heard it's really fun to play on Board Game Arena. You can play it right now on Board Game Arena, folks, and see uh, how you dig it. But for me, um, I, I did find it just to be a little bit cumbersome. I don't know how they'd fix it. Jen loved it. Uh, I think it might be in Jen's top 10 of the year. In fact, actually, folks, in case you're here, what my wife, who's right there over uh, talking to some nice fella, uh, what her favorite games of the year were. Uh, the next Ramble, which I'll be filming probably within a week from now, will be Jen counting down, I believe, her top 11 of the year. And believe me, it's a very different list than mine. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, uh, Four Shuffle is nowhere near my top 10, but I'm pretty sure it's near hers. Uh, and it's great. Uh, I've heard some people complaining about how, oh, the game is broken and unbalanced because this is too powerful, but this other one is too powerful, but this other card is too powerful. Hey, you know what? Maybe they're all really powerful and you just have to figure out how to use them. Maybe folks who are so quick to assume the game is broken, maybe, just maybe, the developers who have been working on games for 30 years are able to spot things that you spot after one or two plays and address them, and maybe you just need to find... I'm sorry. Rant over. Let's just keep uh, keep it positive, keep it upbeat. Uh, anyway, that was number 28, Forest Shuffle. Number 27 is Kutnahora which I was very excited about. The latest heavy, 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 crunchy game from CG, and it definitely delivers. Uh, it is an economic simulation about the, uh, the um, 
the city of Kutnohora, which became the epicenter of silver mining, um, you know, in the early days of the Renaissance, I guess. And it's fascinating because this game does a deeper look at um, supply and demand economy than almost any other Euro game out there. It's got this cool little cardboard uh, computer of sorts that whenever a new type of building, uh, production building gets built, well, hey, that means there's more production. And um, that means the prices have to drop because suddenly there's more of a given thing. And so everything you do in this game affects a central economy in really realistic ways. It's fascinating and um, really intuitive. And it's also easy to manage with these cool little uh, cardboard calculators. Although I believe Check Games Edition has now released a an app you can download for your phone that you don't even have to manipulate the cards in the computer. The, your phone will do it for you. And as I recall correctly, the phone app also includes an alternate mode um, where you can actually have more advanced knowledge about what's coming. All very, very cool. Anyway, though, folks, enough about the apps, enough about the computer. The game is great, uh, very, very sharp about, you know, investing in land and then building on it and um, then running those things and, you know, just trying to navigate a shifting economy that is 100% responsive in realistic ways, not, you know, abstract Euro-style game ways, but realistic ways. Why, then, does it come in at number 27? Um, well, basically, a big part of the game is players competing on a shared grid. And, I mean, that's something that Jen and I will tolerate, but it always gives more of an option for players to, like, cut each other off and, oh, you'd really love to build there, wouldn't you? Too bad I just bought that land and now you can't, and that's really going to benefit me more than you. And there's nothing wrong with it. Obviously, that's a level of interaction that a lot of people want. But me and Jen, I think we would have been happy if we just had our own board, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, just, hey, let's interact through the manipulation. Oh, that was a very loud motorcycle, folks. I don't know if you could hear me over that. Um, but anyway, uh, let's just interact through the manipulation of the, uh, what do you call it? Wow, that guy is loud. He is, oh, that guy's just a jerk. Anyway, um, let's interact through the manipulation of the economy as opposed to the uh whatchamacallit the 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 central board uh, also honestly i would have loved to have seen a little bit more in the way of unique player powers i think this game is definitely better at more than two it works totally fine at two but um at, at three or more you share control over some of the town guilds with other players so you have kind of entwined incentives and that disappears in the two-player game so still great great game i'd probably rank it quite a bit higher at a higher player count um where hey as soon as you get two player things get a bit more cutthroat uh so that was a bit of a problem but otherwise brilliant design number 26 is aldebaran duel a uh, two-player or solo card game, uh, definitely, uh, you know, following on in the lineage of Race for the Galaxy from Tom Lehman. But this is from designer Vladimir Sushi. And what I really, really loved about it quite a bit was the fact that, um, right, Vladimir Sushi, oh, what did I love about it? I'm drawing a blank now. Um, so many games to talk about. Oh, oh, it's just that He's getting back to more lightweight games. He has not done lightweight games or mid-lightweight games in quite a while. So it was really good to see a last will level game from him. And it's a, you know, it's half the game is card drafting, grabbing the right card you want, sacrificing some cards to be able to build the cards you want, to um, you know, terraform planets and colonize them and all that stuff. It's just beautifully done. And um, it is a duel which means every time I succeed, you have to fail. Every time my military increases in strength, yours drops. Every time my economy increases, yours drops. And again, I mean, hey, it's in the title. And I'm glad it's an economic duel as opposed to like, you know, just out and out fighting. But still, it was probably a little bit more interactive than Jen and I cared for, but brilliantly done, Vladimir. 
Okay, number 25 is the Art Project. This game is super duper sharp. It is a, uh, you know, a co-op style game, you know, following on in the footsteps of a pandemic style uh, situation where you've got a lot of problems. Uh, you've got a goal that you're trying to solve, but you're constantly having to fight fires because more and more things are appearing on the board and everybody has to work together um, to solve it. Uh, you've seen a lot of games like this. What makes the art project stand out? A few things. One, limited communication. Really brilliantly done. When everybody's planning right up front, um, everybody has to communicate and say, look, I really need some more weapons to be able to take out these guys who are trying to um, you know, steal this the Mona Lisa or whatever it is. Okay, well, I can play this, but then that means I'm going to need some fuel to drive over to you. Well, I can play the fuel. And everybody working together. I got to play this um, solo as a two-player with Jen and also as a five and a six-player game. I played it a bunch this year because I played it at a convention. And one of the miracles of this game is just how engaging it is, even at the full six-player count, and still getting done in under an hour. That's a rare, rare trick to pull off, and there aren't very many games that do it. A rich and robust and fulfilling, exciting cooperative game that will play up to six as well as it plays all the way down to two or solo. And that's absolutely amazing. The limited communication is great. I have to admit, I could probably do without the dice rolling to defeat the bad guys, but even that's done well. More games pay attention um, because in this game, you commit your resources that mitigate dice rolling after the dice roll, not before the dice roll, which um, is so much more satisfying. So I'm really impressed overall uh, for the art project. Again, it's higher on the list because they didn't need those dice. It was so good anyway, but it's still very, very good. I mean, all these are very good. These are the best of the year so far, preliminarily. Alrighty, that was number 25, The Art Project. Number 24, The Books of Time. Wow, what a cool, sharp game from Board and Dice, and I really do hope this becomes their dominion, that they start over time putting out more and more expansions for it, because this is a deck builder, except it's not. It's a book builder, and you're actually building three books of cards simultaneously, trying to put uh, pages in one book that can supplement another book, but the thing is, is you literally make books. You bind these cards into the books, and then you're switching back and forth, moving forward to you know trying to trigger the right combos between your three books, or um, you know manipulating the book to go back to a previous page. Oh my goodness, it is so sharp. Uh, the uh, the gadget, the gimmick of this game really elevates it. And I my only complaint is it's kind of like base box vanilla Dominion. It does a bunch of basic stuff, it does it really well, but I want to see more cards put in these books that really mix things up, that do really cool and exciting, unusual things. Which, you know, is something you see in Dominion after you see more and more expansions. So, I have high hopes for the future of number 24, the Books of Time. Oh my gosh, this town is waking up, folks. There are now dogs barking at each other all over the place. I have no idea if you can hear all of that. I'm just gonna keep on soldiering through. All right, um, number 23. Printing press. Oh, yeah. Very, very cool tile laying game, right? No, no, it's cards, cards. But the cards are little strips, one by three strips. And it does that thing that I absolutely love where um, you can... Oh, what do you call it? Um, layer the cards on top of each other and you know have some icons cover other icons. Now this is a sequel to Gutenberg, which I think just missed my top 10 a few years ago. And sadly this one just missed my top 10 too, but it's still a brilliant design. And um, with really cool entwined drafting, you know, the kind of stuff like uh, Cascadia where, hey, I gotta pick a bundle and I don't want one half of the bundle, but I need the other half. But the uh, tile laying of these, or the, uh, the patching together of these one by three tiles is absolutely awesome and I really, really enjoy it quite a bit. My only complaint, again, and I talked about this in my 
Uh, did I do a run through four or did I just talk about it in the roundup? Anyway, very easy to fix my one complaint. There are rewards you can get that will help you out with your patching, but you just have to draw blind and, and when you get it, you have to use it immediately. And I don't understand, why can't I get this thing and then hold on to it and use it when I want to? A minor little tweak would have bumped this game up like 10 points on the list easily as it's really, really sharp. Printing press, number 23. Number 22, how dare you? is the name of number 22 on the list. This is not the kind of thing that I would normally put on the list, but it is a brilliant little Trivial Pursuit style game. You know, great for parties, although Jen and I played it two player and thought it was a blast as well. It's very, very simple. Uh, whoever's the lead player, um, uh, you know, gets a question put to them. And it's a question that really nobody could know. I'm trying to remember one. One was like, how many regular size eggs fit inside an ostrich egg? Do you know the answer? Well, put it down in the comments, won't you? Here's the deal. So they make their best guess, and then round table, everybody else can decide, oh, I think the number's bigger. And it's kind of a push your luck. They can kind of outbid and go higher and higher. But if uh, they think, uh, no, that's it, I'm going to pass, then they can say, ah, you're wrong, I dare you. And then you find out what the real number is, and hilarity ensues. It's simple, it's fast, it's brilliant, it's just a deck of cards that you could use in any circumstance, and I was very, very impressed by How Dare You. Sadly, my only complaint, maybe the worst box cover art in board game history. That monstrosity just, I mean, you know, I've literally taken it places and I've gone out of my way to not show the box art because it's ugh, just not very pretty. Anyway though, but the gameplay, next level stuff. How Dare You. Number 21, World Wonders. This is one of, uh, one of the best polyomino tile layers of the year, and I need to play it more, quite frankly. It might even climb, uh, uh, you know, and I actually, I was so intrigued, I love it so much, I brought it with me and Jen on this trip down to the southern tip of Baja, because I do want to spend more time with it. So expect it might climb over time when I do my revisit of this in, um, you know, in the middle of next year. We, we might have pushed it into the top 10. But why is it so cool? We've seen a lot of polyomino tile laying games, right? What makes this one stand out. Uh, these games always focus on the buildings, you know, the weird shaped buildings you have to jigsaw puzzle together, and this game has that. And um, some of the buildings, the wonders, are so cool because they, um, they uh, are actually cool little 3D kind of wooden, um, you know, silk screen meeple eyes. They're just awesome. All these wonders as you build them, so satisfying to put them down. But, you know, I mean, hey, they could have been flat tiles. It still would have been a lot of fun. What's interesting is, like I said, most of these games just focus on the buildings. This game also focuses on the uh, roads, the infrastructure that is necessary for these uh, civilizations to advance. And roads very rarely get as much attention or love as they should. I mean, roads are the um, you know the arteries that uh, you know make a, a society beat you know like a like a heart. And uh, so I love that this game really focused on that as much as everything else. I feel like I'm moving into kind of a breezy area. Let me see if I can come over here, maybe under this tree and turn away from the wind. Anyway, though, uh, it's really really sharp. And like I said, I do need to spend more time with it because um, it's already I've seen it's made it onto a lot of folks' top tens with good reason. And at a given time, it might make mine too. So that is 21 World Wonders. 20, The House of Cats. Now, um, this is a very simple, straightforward, uh, what do you call it, roll and write game from the designer of Kalis. What? 
who expected Kalis, William Attia, to come back and you know team up with another designer I really really love and uh, make a roll and write. And why, why is it so special? Well, it is a uh, you know an architecture designing layouts of houses. We've seen other roll and writes like that. But what's really interesting about this game is its uh, scoring bonus incentive structure. I think is absolutely brilliant because uh, well, first of all, it comes with, if I recall correctly, four different um, maps. So these were their own special rules or blueprints. So these were their own special rules. So you can score in different ways. A lot of variety there. But every time you set the game up, you assign random bonus actions to the different um, you know things you can fulfill. So every time you play, you get the variety of the blueprints, but then also the variety of shifting special powers from game to game. And sometimes a given one game, you might say, oh, that is a really cool power, but it's super expensive. Next time you play, oh, it's super cheap. And so it really mixes things up. I love this core idea, and I'd love to see it in more games, which is why House of Cats, a very simple and unassuming roll and write, makes the short list at 20. Number 19 is a how, Rulers of the Yucatan. Wow, what a very, very cool um, worker placement game. And what really stands out about it is um, as I'm trying to figure out where I want my workers to go, I'm also playing car. I'm playing a card that says where are my workers going to go, and I'm playing another card that says how fast are you going to go there. And um, so it's kind of has sort of a uh, Gloomhaven initiative style system to it. But what's really really interesting is um, there's very limited space worker placement style. And um, you know once I played a card to say hey go to section seven, I can't go there again for the rest of the round. But I want to. I want to go there again. So how do I do that? Well, on one round I say I'm going to go to section six and. Instead. But I'm going to go with a really low initiative because I'm hoping if I can figure out what you're doing and you go to section six at the same time I do and you go with a higher initiative than me, then you'll get to go there and I'll get bumped and I could bump back to section seven where I really wanted to go. This is a really cool, simple idea that makes for really compelling gameplay. And then on top of that, there's a wonderful sense of history. I know the developers did a lot of work working with cultural consultants on the design of the game too, and it really shows a beautiful, respectful, um, wonderful design, a how, rulers of the Yucatan. Uh, number 18 is Forbidden Jungle, the latest from Matt Leacock in his Forbidden series. I don't think it eclipses Forbidden Desert for me, but it's definitely the second best, and I absolutely love it. It actually is interesting. It kind of combines all of the Forbidden games. Uh, it you know takes the tile sliding from Desert. It takes the uh, sinking from the original Jungle, and I know it takes something from Sky as well. Although I can't think of what it is at the moment, uh, but um, poor. Or Forbidden Sky. That's an excellent game to uh, sadly overlook. But anyway, we're talking about Forbidden Jungle today. You've crash landed on a jungle alien planet. There's spreading uh, alien creatures all over the place. You're having to anticipate where do you think they're going to spread and stay one step ahead of them as you uh, construct a uh, tele an ancient teleporting thing that'll get you off the planet to whatever the next Forbidden Adventure is. It's great as always. Really, the second best of the Forbidden series so far. Number 18, Forbidden Jungle. Number 17. Apiary. The latest from Stonemeyer Games and a brand new designer. I'm sorry, I cannot remember your name, new designer. Uh, but hey, you know it's right there on screen. By the way, folks, let me know down in the comments, what do you think of this presentation style? I've never done it this way before, where I'm in the I'm a picture-in-picture. Picture. I'm just trying to give you a lot of info thanks to Board Game Geek. Who's the publisher? Who's the designer? How, what's the player count? What's the time? What's the weight? Etc. Etc. I think this is going to be really, really useful. I've never seen anybody else do it this way, and I'm, why haven't I done it all these years ago? Let me know if you if you if you appreciate all the extra stats on screen. Um, but anyway, Apiary, really cool worker placement about a game about space bees bumping each other out of spaces, getting more powerful, eventually retiring. Uh, really great combination of ideas, and it's so good to see Stonemeyer Games, you know, the kind of the originator of worker bumping, one of my favorite mechanisms of all time, revisiting it and doing cool new stuff with it. This makes a lot of people's ten. Doesn't quite make my top ten. 
10. Although any other year it could have. Folks, did I mention? I did the stats. This is the fourth best year ever for board games based on my own personal predilection. Although it was at 2019, 2020, and 2016, I want to say, are the only ones that beat 2023, if I recall correctly. I might be wrong about that. If you want to know, folks, just go to top.rado.com, scroll down to the bottom, and uh, you'll see all the years of board gaming ranked uh, based on my own personal predilections. Amazing year. Any other year, all these ones I'm talking about could have been top 10 contenders. It's really only the first five. Numbers 30 through um, 26, I had some problems. All the games from here on in, folks, they're just all beautiful gravy, and I just had a hard time ranking them. Anyway, though, let's move on to number, um, let's see. So that was a 17 apiary. Number 16 is Sky Team. Another critical darling, a lot of top 10 lists, and um, it's a two-player only cooperative game where we are trying to land a plane um, in real time, and it's freaking brilliant. Probably the best run-through that appeared on my channel at all this year uh, was the one that Ruel and I did, playing over the internet, playing Sky Team, trying to bring a bird safely to ground, and uh, you can check out that run-through, folks. There's links for it, and like I said, everything down in the show notes. Things did not go well, but it was so much fun. And uh, yeah, I can see why everybody loves it. Jen found it way too stress-inducing. Uh, and that is something you gotta know going in, folks. It is high, high stress. And you can really ratchet up the difficulty and complexity, which is what I did on Ruel. He was not played at complex levels, and that's what he and I played together when we played, oh man. But anyway, brilliant game, super sharp. Again, any other year, a top 10 for me, easily. All right, so that was 17, number 15, Humanity. This one is not getting anywhere near as much attention as it should. I'm probably is anybody else going to mention it in their top ten? I don't know why. It is from the designer of Miramis, but more people are probably more interested in the designer of the Turing Machine, which was a huge hit. And I mean, it's a brilliant little clockwork puzzle of a game. But Miramis is what I really love. Was it Johan Levitt, I believe, right? Uh, the designer for so one of my favorite worker placement games of all time and humanity is now one of my favorite time track games of all time because he did time tracks better than just about anybody time tracks have been around ever since Thebes you know Glenn Moore did them Kokaido does them but nobody does it as well as humanity he really reinvented what it means to play a time track game and I also love that it is a positive optimistic uplifting view of the future of humanity instead of another grim dire oh we're all doomed let's just be nihilistic I'm so sick of that so anytime a game says no humanity makes it and we're doing science in the future we are um, you know I, I, I gotta check it out and so that's why number 15 humanity ranks so high for me number 14 far away oh man I think this might also have made Jen shortlist of the year we're gonna film that probably a week from now I'm gonna figure it out but anyway uh, far away one of the most brilliant, simple little uh, deck of cards uh, games played in quite a while here's the trick of it over the course of the game, you're only going to play seven cards, and then you're going to score them. And you know, in between that, you're going to draw more cards, try to pick which cards, you know, make sacrifices, compromises, all that kind of stuff. But why is this interesting? Why is playing seven cards cool? Because the um, you you play them from left to right. And then at the end of the game, you score them from right to left. So it is a case of first in, last out. And that creates such delicious, challenging um, issues about the timing of when to play and what to play that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, again, Jen loved it. I thought it was brilliant too. Um, number 14, Far Away. I think that's one of the few ones that are actually not on the channel in run-through form. Very sorry about that. Uh, but anyway, maybe I should get one of the contributors to film it because I know I'm not the only person who loves this game. All right, let's move on to number three, um, or sorry, 
I was trying to get out of that area, but you know what? There's just too much wind. I was trying to move to a maybe quieter area, but ah, Mexico can be a noisy place, folks. Not always the best place for filming outdoors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's move on to number 13. Point City, the uh, latest from um, Molly and Stan and Sean. You know, flat out games. Wow, what an amazing trio of developers. And this is the sequel to Point Salad, which is a game already a lot of people loved. I thought it was cool too. A little too cutthroat as a low player game, but as uh, Point City, the sequel just outside of my top 10 of the year. What makes it so great? It is another entwined drafting game. I love entwined drafting, but here's the interesting thing. You've got a grid of cards, and what you're gonna do on your turn is you have to take two cards next to each other out of the grid, and you can use them as resources to build other stuff, or you can it's the stuff you actually try to build in your point city. It's a simple idea. It's so brilliantly done. Such a wonderful execution. I loved it to pieces. Number 13, Point City. Then, number 12, Raua, another game that is being criminally overlooked. And it's absolutely fantastic. I'm very excited that it's gonna be getting an expansion next year, so maybe that'll get it some more heat. Heck, maybe me ranking it so high, just outside of my top 10 will give it some heat. It deserves it. It is a game where you are um, you know, building up a society on an alien planet, you are laying tiles down into a grid, but then at the end of every um, turn, you uh, move this kind of overseer piece around the outside of the grid, and you activate everything in the row or column that that overseer has gone to. And that's all you need to know, folks. If you're like me, you're going to love the crunchy, combo-y, puzzly nature of this thing just to pieces. Jen loved it, too. Absolutely fantastic. Number 12, Rahua. Number 11. I'm just trying to speed up a little bit because, oh my gosh, the town has fully woken up now. There's loud uh, cars driving through with tons of loud music. Plus, there's more people showing up, and I'm just right outside of church, so I need to kind of keep it down a little bit. Let's, my gosh, can you hear that, folks? Anyway, um, where are we? That was number 12. Number 11, Wild Tiled West. Oh my goodness. I think this is my highest ranked polyomino tile layer of the year. And you know I love my polyominoes. And Wild Tiled West just misses the top 10, just misses it. But it's absolutely brilliant. It is um, all about drafting tiles, all kinds of funky polyomino shapes with ton tons of cool special powers on them to build up a wild, um, you know, an American frontier west uh, area, and it's brilliant. Uh, the draft, which is driven by dice and kind of a, uh, a coordinate system, the dice tell you what rows and columns you can draft from. You can pay resources to ignore the dice and go deeper and get what you need, but this is a game where there are so many things you want to do, but in the short time you have, you can only focus on two or three of them and do them really, really well, and I always appreciate that. And this, again, is one of the best polyomino games out there. It's certainly be my top 10 of all time. It's number 11 of the year, Wild Tiled West. And then, folks, we made it to 10. Nimalia. 
Oh, what a great game. Uh, this, is a, this is a simple card game. Uh, which is all about you know playing cards and stacking them on top of each other. I mentioned another one of these earlier, printing press. What um, you know, and there's been a bunch of games that do this. I'm going all the way back to Hanging Gardens uh, a million years ago. There's a bunch of games that uh, do this really, really well. Um, you know, walking in. Provence, another wonderful one. What makes this one stand out? It's that it mixed the um, you know the card layering system that I love so much with um, oh the uh, scoring system from one of Alexander Fisher's greatest games of all time, although he co-designed it, uh, Isle of Sky. The, and, um, you know, and also, uh, the scoring system was very popularly used in Cartographers. I think this is the only third game I've seen this, Isle of Sky, Cartographers, and now Nimalia. The idea that, hey, there's a bunch of random objectives, and you're going to score early on this objective. And then at some point later in the game, you're going to score it again. You've got four objectives, and they're going to get scored multiple times. So you might be setting yourself up for a later one, trying to do it well early and late. And that system in um, Nimalia, so elevates it, uh, you know, and it's also a charming game about you know trying to get the right types of animals in the right biomes and stuff like that too. Lovely, lovely, everything about it. Easily my number ten of the year, Nimalia. Number nine, Barcelona. I mentioned designer Danny Garcia earlier when I was saying things that I need to play in final form for what was his other game, Arborea. Arborea could push into my top ten as well, but Barcelona certainly did, and it's a brilliant, brilliant worker placement game about building up the city of Barcelona, where you put your workers out to do whatever it is you want to do. It's a grid thing where, hey, I put it in this coordinates and whatever's on the X and the Y of that coordinate, I do those two actions, sometimes three actions, if it's on a Z coordinate as well. But the important thing is, once I put those workers down, they stay. They do not come back to my hand because they become then resources that are used, or actually not resources, they become customers that are demanding buildings be built. And so if you, I mean, we're here to build Barcelona, we're here to build buildings, but we can't build them without consumer demand. So every time I put a worker down, I'm thinking about what acts, what two or three actions I want to do, but also where do I want to potentially build a building later? Or where do you want to build a building? Because I might be laying the groundwork for the work that you want to do. And so I have to bear that in mind every step of the way in the brilliant number nine. Barcelona. Number eight, Rebuilding Seattle. I lied a bit ago, folks. This is my highest ranked polyomino game of the year. It's right there. It's very tiny text. I forgot. Uh, uh, rebuilding Seattle is brilliant. Uh, building my favorite city in the world, Seattle, after the great fire of the, uh, of the early 1900s or the late 1800s. Um, you know, and building it up into the city this day because it basically covers a hundred years of growth of the city. But it is a, uh, it's a, it's not just simple straight tile drafting like a lot of games. There's an economy. You have resources you have to spend to get the right tiles and build them. But then once you get the tiles and you're covering up, you don't want to cover up the natural wonder of the Pacific Northwest because you want to surround it with these. So it makes the, uh, the jigsaw puzzle of a polyomino game that much more interesting. Not covering spaces up like a lot of games, like say Barron Park, but trying to leave spaces uncovered is an even trickier, more challenging puzzle. But that's not what makes this excellent because on your turns you're usually grabbing tiles laying them but there are also at all times a bunch of event cards laying on the board and you can spend your turn triggering an event instead of laying polyominoes and the thing is everybody's affected by these events and so everybody's pushing their luck. Okay, I just need to get a little bit better before the uh, you know this event or that event happens, and then I'll trigger it. But what if somebody else triggers it ahead of time? Because here's the deal. You want to be the one to trigger the events because kind of Puerto Rico style, whoever everybody gets tr gets tr access to the same rewards of the events, but with the player who triggered it gets bonuses. So you want to get those bonuses, but you don't want to trigger it yet because you're trying to get ready for the event. And you just need one more round to get one more. And then, no, no, somebody else. The cat over there. Um, you know, there's a cat right off screen. Uh, there it is right there. You can see it maybe skittering away. There it is. There you go, cat. Um, the, the, the cat 
did it. And that extra level of attention really elevates this game into my top 10 easily. Rebuilding Seattle is fantastic. Number uh, seven is Archaeus Society. I think this is my third game where nobody but me is talking about this, and I don't understand why. This is a remake or a, um, of, a, of a game that came out a few years ago called Ethnos. But remember I said right up front, folks, I generally try to ignore remakes unless they significantly change the game. If like Great Western Trail New Zealand is just something that, hey, adds an extra, like an expansion on top of the core game, that's fine. If it's an expansion, I'm not going to talk about it. But Ethnos radically is radically changed by um, Archaeos Society. It still has the same brilliant um, card hand management system where we're grabbing cards, eventually I'll play a card from my hand to trigger some action I want to do, but then all the cards from my hand get jettisoned. And then it becomes a feeding frenzy as all the, the cards I didn't play go out to the public display and everybody's trying to grab them to do their own things, but then you play a card and have to discard the rest of your hand and then everybody wants to grab those. That was the core idea of Ethnos. It's the core idea here, it's great. But Ethnos was an area control, area majority game, which I had no interest in. This is a racing game where there's six different racetracks randomly selected from a bigger group of them. And every time you play, we are racing um, down these tracks and all the tracks function uniquely and differently. And it's freaking brilliant. I see why everybody loves Ethnos so much, but I would never go back to Ethnos because Archaeo Society reinvented it. Didn't re-implement it, reinvented it for the better. And that's why it's number seven on the list. Number six is Evacuation. Vladimir Sushi's second game on the list. This is him doing his normal big, heavy, crunchy thing, all about us trying to abandon one planet that is doomed because it's star. It's a sci-fi future game. Uh, the star of one planet is about to go supernova, so we got to get to another planet. We're trying to pull everybody off. And here's the interesting thing: it's a game where you start out with a robust. Uh, economy. It's the kind of thing, it's like the game ends. It's as if you played a game about building up a society on an alien planet. And by the end of the game, it's a wonderful engine builder and you've got an amazing civilization that can produce so much and do so much. Then you come along, you play evacuation. You start out in that state with a fully realized, super uh, powerful engine of an economy on this planet and you've got to systematically rip it apart and transport it from the old pl doomed planet to a new planet. And so there's this weird U-shape where you're super powerful, but then over the course of the game, as you're ripping things up and starting to transport them, you get weaker and weaker and weaker. But then as the new planet gets up and running, you start becoming stronger again. It's brilliant. It's absolutely phenomenal. I know I'm not alone in putting it on my shortest of short lists. Number six, evacuation. Number five, the White Castle. Um, and okay. I, I think this is probably going to be like the number two or the number three hottest games. I don't know if you know about this, folks. There is an amazing um, geek list on Board Game Geek called the uh, Reviewer's Meta List, where uh, there's this one fella, or a group of folks, I think, maybe, who basically collate all of the lists from all of board game media, um, you know, average them out, and then give you the final official list, kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes for the year. And it's brilliant. And last time I looked, the White Castle was at number two, maybe number three, and I think it's not going to fall because everybody loves it. Everybody loves it except for some people who think, oh, this system is broken or that is overpowered. Again, the hubris of some players who think that they can just in one game realize something that's broken that, you know, thousands of man hours of playtesting from professionals with decades of experience couldn't catch. But, oh, I can catch it because I'm about I already started that rant once. I'm going to stop it now and just say how amazing White Castle is. And White Castle it's a very sharp uh, design from the designers of uh, Red Cathedral before it. I love Devere, the publisher's attention to um, you know uh, production quality by putting a huge game into a tiny box. I love everything about it. Uh, I love the uh, dice worker placement of it. It's brilliant. But what I love more than anything else is this is a game where you get nine turns, and that's it. 
And this is something I want to see more of. This is not the last game I'll talk about this that really captures a crunchy, crunchy, um, you know, higher end of the uh, complexity and depth scale. But uh, in a, you know, a game like this in years past would go for two plus hours. And uh, the White Castle, you get it done in under an hour. And I love that. I want to see more of that. And uh, as much as I can, I will reward more of that by ranking them higher on my list because Jen and I, we're getting old and we're getting tired and we want all that big, huge, crunchy experience, but we don't want to spend two or three hours playing it. Under an hour is ideal for us and the White Castle delivers. It's so good. Um, all right, but anyway, uh, even better though is number four, Sagrada Artisans which is um, one of several legacy games that came out this year. Uh, the best one by far. Sagrada was already a brilliant little um, uh, puzzly, uh, you know, draft dice and put them in a grid to make stained glass, uh, you know, for the Sagrada Familia. And um, always loved the original, loved it even more with the expansion that came out. But now I got rid of my copy of the original Sagrada and all my expansions because Sagrada Artisans shows you how to do legacy because it's full, totally playable afterwards. It's a legacy roll and write. Um, and it comes, you know, after you've finished the game and you've unlocked all these really wonderful stained glass art windows that are fun, new, interesting puzzles. If you love Sagrada, you're going to love this so much. But the nice thing is you can just keep playing them and all the stuff you've unlocked, you can keep playing with those toys. So many legacy games say, oh, throw all the toys away. If it's got like, I'm, you know, the, I'm thinking of my city and my island specifically, but there's other ones. Apparently this is true for Ticket to Ride Legacy as well, that once it's over, yeah, you've still got an ongoing game, but all the stuff that made the game really cool is ripped out not Sagrada Artisans. And in fact, even more stuff is unlocked. It's brilliant. I love it. Granted, I understand some people complain, oh, there's not much of a story there. I don't care. I'm there for the puzzle. Uh, you know, there's enough story to say, hey, we're just trying to make stained glass windows with cool, colorful dice, but now we don't place the dice on a grid. Instead, we draft the dice and then use colorful pencils to do, um, you know, it's artsy. Oh, man, it's wonderful. Uh, I talked about this more in my run-through, which is there's a link for it, like everything else down in the show notes. It's number four of the year, Sagrada Artisans. Number three, this one I don't understand. I almost didn't put this on the list because I'm confused, but Galileo Project is my number three. And here's the deal, folks. Galileo Project came out in 2022. Make no mistake about it. It was for sale at PAX Unplugged. It was for sale at Essence Spiel. And originally, it was on BoardGameGeek as a 2022 game. Um, and I didn't get a chance to play it in 2022. And I expected I was going to be talking about it this year. And my, it should have made it. It would have been my number two game of 2022. At some point, somebody changed BoardGameGeek and reclassified um, it as a 2023 game. And I've tried to get it fixed. But BoardGameGeek won't change it. So, hey. I've always said Board Game Geek is the ultimate arbiter of when a game came out, so if they say Galileo Project is a 2023 game, it is, and it's amazing. Like White Castle I mentioned a little bit ago, this is another brilliant example of rich, meaty gameplay um, in an incredibly fast time. I'm sure there are going to be some people who play Galileo Project for the first time and say, it's too short, I need more time, it ends before it's just beginning. I'm like, oh, you always want to leave them hanging, leave the audience wanting more, and Galileo Project does this so brilliantly. Uh, what is it? It is a game where we are trying to build infrastructure, robotic infrastructure on the uh, four different moons of, of Saturn. I believe, if I recall correctly. Um, but the thing is, every turn, you're just going to get a card. You're going to draft a card. You're going to draft an employee, which is free. You don't have to pay their salary until the end of the game. And they will give you resources you need right now that you can then spend to draft other types of cards, the robots that you're putting on different uh, moons. And then the third type of thing you're grabbing are objectives if you can complete them. Really simple core idea, but oh, this gameplay is so rich and it plays so fast and so satisfying. And this is one of the rare games that after Jen and I played it for the first time, Jen said, set it up 
we're going again. Um, and that is a testament to its brilliance. It really should get more attention. Um, I don't know if anybody else is going to put on that because everybody's confused. Everybody thinks it's a 2022 game, which it was, but Wargaming says it's 2023, so it's my number three. It would have been my number two last year, but it's my number three game of 2023. Number three, the Galileo Project. Okay, number, tw uh, number two. Uh, I already talked about this, and I mentioned this earlier in, you know, at the beginning. Go After you're done with this, folks, if you aren't uh, sick of hearing about great games yet, go check out the R&R&R. There's links for it down in the show notes. Episode 80, the top 16 games of the year, including my number two, Evenfall. Wow. Um, brand new publisher, brand new designer. Just an amazing knocks it out of the park. Uh, tableau building game where you know we're witches, covens, you know, um, getting cards, getting resources to play the cards, to unlock you know uh, combos and all that kind of stuff. We've seen in a lot of games. What makes this special is when you first play a card, it goes into an area where it becomes a harvestable resource generating thing for you. And that's great. You need those resources to play more cards. But sooner or later, you have to transfer that card from its active zone to its end game zone so that it can become a point scoring card for you instead. And at the same time, often as not, it'll become a new worker placement. It morphs and transforms into a different type of card where it gives you different access to stuff. That core idea, the, the first time I, I mean, probably it wasn't first done in Elysium, but Elysium is still one of the best. Uh, Evenfall might do it even better than Elysium. I love a game that gives me cool, powerful tools that I love using and then makes me choose to tear them away. You know, you've seen it in deck deconstruction games like Valley of the Kings and uh, Dale of Merchants. Uh, I love seeing it every chance I can. And in a worker placement game where, hey, I set up the worker placement spots, but then I rip them apart. We had another one last year, Phoenix Station. But again, of all the games that have done it, I think Evenfall maybe does it the best. It's number two of the year. But folks, number one, of course it's Earth. Of course it's Earth. This is everybody's number one, and with good reason. I mentioned that meta list earlier. Uh, you know, Earth is by and far, you know, eclipsing everything else. And um, it's, you know, it's. I'm not the only one on my channel whose number one it is, and with good reason. This is the final one I want to mention of a game that delivers big, rich, robust, wonderful, Euroy, puzzly goodness, thematically driven, all about. We are basically the forces of nature trying to develop an Earth-like planet. You know, trying to get cards played into a tableau and, 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 you know, and um, becoming an engine that you can run, trying to get the right cards next to each other, but also bearing in mind that when you run the engine of your Earth, they have to run top to bottom, left to right. So positioning of the cards is important relative to each other for scoring, but also important for that engine that you want the card that will generate the resources to come before the card that will consume those resources. So everything about it is great, but much better than anything else is, it's a deep, rich, brilliant game that you will finish in under an hour, no matter the player count. I have played this game at every player count. I've played this game more than any other game this year, and it's easily every time, even when I'm teaching people, it's just over an hour, and if you know it, it's under an hour, but it's so satisfying and so fulfilling. I love it so much, and I want this to be the harbinger of things to come. Board game publishers, we've, we've seen a few games like this over the years. Zapotec a few years ago was another great example. I want to see this more, because this is the antidote Euro games, a lot of them are getting bigger and longer and longer and longer. You know, following the mind clash format, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't have time for that anymore. My wife doesn't have time for that anymore. We don't want to sacrifice the deepness and richness and complexity of the experience just because we don't have as much time as we used to to play. And so Earth and several others I've mentioned um, 
are really delivering, giving us everything we want, and that's why it is the best game of the year, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Oh boy, folks, that is it. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the uh, walking tour of San Ignacio, the uh, Mark Square. It seems like things have calmed down. I could come back over here, but I'm done, folks, at least until midway through the year. And so I'm going to bid you all adieu and wish you a very Feliz Navidad. I'm not sure if I'm using that right. Oh. Hey, jump cut. Uh, we just spent all day driving and we just pulled into Mulahe and this awesome, awesome beach where we're going to be staying free for the next few days. Heck, maybe even a week because this is really, really excellent. Um, and there was just one more thing I forgot to mention, folks, when I was at the town square earlier today that, hey, a week from now, you're going to be getting another countdown video from me. And this time it is going to be all about my most anticipated games for 2020. So, if you don't want to miss that, you know what to do. Subscribe, right? And in the meantime, if I've piqued your interest in that R&R show, boom, there it is, right there, folks. Uh, definitely. I cannot stress enough how great that list is, how proud I am of it. It's such a really fantastic work. And also, the extended edition of the show, man, the interview with Cole was amazing. Their extra stuff. I highly recommend it. So it's one more gift I give to you folks and bye bye